Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm your radio, radio show! Hello and welcome to the Nyler Nine podcast, your weekly checkup of what's happening in music with an emphasis on new. I'm Nyler Nine and I'm joined by Andrea Cleary. Hello, how are you? How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Good. Um, on this podcast, we're going to be talking about Solange's new album, uh, When I Get Home, which was released last Friday. We'll be also talking a little bit about Hosier and his new album, Wasteland Baby. And some songs of the week uh, and other such news. Uh, I guess this week, the first thing, sadly, we have to start with some uh, sad news, yes. which is becoming all too regular. To uh, Every week, I think we try and find something positive to talk about. Well, I, I found a positive, a reason to be tearful in that um, Badgers, Stoats and Otters have had an incredible revival in the UK, but <laughs> apparently that's not music news. Oh, so. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, um, we have to start somewhere. Yes, is there, we do. Is there any Badgers, um, any, anything to do with music and Badgers? I, d- no. I don't think so. I can try and look up their, their tenu- listening a tenuous habits. Link. Yeah, I'll, a I'll find link. a tenuous link and report back next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, sadly, uh, yes, uh, it's happened again in terms of uh, uh, we've lost an artist uh, or a musician that um, was unexpected to a lot of people. Um, Keith Flint from The Prodigy passed away this week. He took his own life, according to The Prodigy's Instagram. It happened uh, on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. It happened on Monday morning, I think. Um, it wasn't reported until a day later, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was that morning, actually. It, was, yeah. it seemed very quick. Um, yeah, very sad news. Um, he seemed to have taken his own life in his house. Um, he was 49. Obviously, you know, it's terrible that this is still happening so frequently with musicians. And um, it seems to be a lot of men that it mm-hmm. happens to. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that says about uh, the mental health of, of men in music, but... Um, I don't know if it does say anything, but 
it's just very sad when it keeps happening. And There's certainly a correlation there between, you know, being a man and I, I, th- that correlation exists outside of music as well. Like suicide numbers for men are a lot higher than yeah, for true, women. And true. yeah, it's just, it's really, really sad. And it's, he's a name now on an ever growing list of artists who've taken their own lives and kind of left behind a, an incredible legacy and a lot of very kind of upset fans, but also people coming together to share their um, experiences with his music and um yeah, that that side of things tends to be really positive because you get that kind of communal feeling that you have when you're a music lover and people just come together to share their experiences of music together. So, yeah. And especially with somebody like Keith Flint, who was known for his performances and his uh, kind of outrageous style. Mm. And when he first debuted that with the Firestarter video was mm-hmm. the main, like for a lot of people, that was the first time that he, he was vocal, first of all. But yeah. um, <clears throat> it wasn't just like, you know, the thing about the project was there was Leroy and Keith and they were both dancers and they didn't really do anything. They were just on stage doing their dancing and like being hype men, essentially. Yeah. Um, but that was the first time that he became a a vocalist and yeah. Firestarter for me was just like such a big song in my teenage years you know when it came out I just never heard anything like it and it just I just it just grabbed me so much in the video I remember watching MTV what played the video like like 12 times in a row or something yeah. like that or that night it came out and it was like whoa and you were just like you it was like you were witnessing something, something you'd never seen before and I obviously I'm older now and I can recognize the kind of um influences in that and like the the kind of punk influences and all that kind of stuff but at the time it was just like oh my god what is this music and yeah. where did this come from and i was so in and like i already knew music for the jilted generation but i knew it through my sister mm. and like the dance music and i was like oh what's this interesting music you know um but that was really the time where i committed to the prodigy as as a band i loved yeah and i just think I remember that summer um our my our family had a Spanish student that year who stayed in the spare room. And I, I distinctly remember he was a bit quiet and I tried to be friends with him a bit. Um, but I think he was out in the back garden or something. And I, myself and my friends were in my bedroom at the time and playing Firestarter really, really loud and headbanging. <laughs> and I just remember him walking past the window, looking in and kind of like, <gasps> and then disappearing. And I was like, oh my God, he must think we're really weird, but we just kept doing it. It was great. That's it was just like, yeah, tr- lepping around your bedroom. That's kind of what that song will always remind me of. Yeah. And uh, yeah, very sad news. What about yourself? You have any uh, prodigy yeah, uh, so memories? Well, it's funny, like Firestarter came out in 96. Um, I think. Yeah. So, so I was five when that came out. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was that year or not. It probably wasn't. But I remember, I distinctly remember seeing it on MTV and being a kid and running out of the room. <laughs> I was so afraid of him. I was I was like, what on earth is this? Like, I'd never seen anything like it before. And then I remember then watching it. And being like, no, just be brave and just watch it. Because my older brother was really, really into it, like bopping around the flat to it. And he was like really, really into electronic music. And then once once I sort of got it, it always it always stayed with me. Um, and then when when I became a teenager then and I was sort of a bit... I became a bit of a snob about music. Like there was two distinct groups in my 
school like one was the kind of rock indie kids which I was kind of part of and the other was the kids who listened to dance music and the one of one of the two crossovers was the prodigy like we could all agree on the prodigy and we could all agree on daft punk and yeah. that was about it so <laughs> it, it's funny that like even though you have this amount of um this kind of snobbery around dance music and being like oh that's not something that belongs to us I think his sort of punk aesthetic and anti-establishment like he he was he's still a rock star do you know yeah. um and I think that's probably what crossed over for like the people in my group we were like no this guy's punk even though he's making dance music and also the yeah. music's obviously insane and amazing but yeah like it's 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 really really sad um obviously but it's also one of those things where so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many different kind of points of reference have come together to celebrate him my favorite yeah was James Blunt. Did you see this? No. So James Blunt tweeted, a friend of the show, James Blunt, um, tweeted, at the Q Awards years ago when at Noel Gallagher, these ats are important, <laughs> at Noel Gallagher was saying he was leaving Ibiza because I moved there and at Damon, Damon Alburn refused to be in the same picture as me and at Paul Weller was saying he'd rather eat his own shit than work with me. Keith Flint came over, gave me a hug and said how thrilled he was for my success. Keith, I only met you once, but I shed a tear at the news of your death in our business. There's no prizes for being kind, but if there was, that Grammy would be yours. Um, I think that's great for two reasons. What he said was really lovely. And also he added them. (laughs) Go on, James. That's just brilliant. (laughs) The other thing I think about about the the Prodigy uh, and Keith and all that stuff is that they were just so like embedded in youth culture in Ireland in the 90s. It was so like parents hate them. Like the X works <laughs> genes and like dance music and the except like the more the Jilted generation and then er- the earlier stuff like Charlie and like I had a friend who used to dance like Leroy and all that yeah. kind of stuff and it was like it, this was like kudos cultural kudos you got if you yeah. knew anything or you could dance like this or you know the cool kids are into the prodigy. Do you yeah, know that kind of way? Totally, yeah. And Even was, like the, the hairstyles. Yeah, he's like so prevalent in in school. If you saw somebody with the prodigy written on their school bag, you're yeah. like, they're cool. Yeah. We're yeah. going to be friends. This guy gets it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was just something that was so, they were so huge at the time. Yeah, so I think huge. their music just had this ability to cross those kind of cultural barriers. Do you know? Like I think even like, I I know it's like, oh, parents hate them. And like when, when you look at the video for Firestarter, it's easy to see like a potential panic on like parents of teenagers at that time just being like, oh, dear God, what is my son going to do? Like what? <laughs> he's going to go to some mad rave. But like I, I feel like no matter like your age, what generation you're with, you're just able to appreciate them as a cultural moment and as just defining the 90s in a way yeah, you know yeah yeah. yeah yeah i remember like that term rave to your grave is used a lot as well mm. you know like uh it was just didn't defined to me mm. a lot of that kind of alternative dance and like the idea of raves and in in ireland anyway you yeah. know like that was they were 
them and like the fourth dimension and a few other acts were like the ones that people talked about yeah in terms of oh this is cool and, is and maybe possibly illicit and obviously like their law and songs like that really like fed into that and mm. the idea of illegal raves and all that kind of stuff but yeah very sad um Anyway, that's Keith Flint and uh, R.I.P. Keith. Mm. Uh, it's a Choice Music Prize uh, week and uh, maybe by the time you hear this, we will have a winner. Uh, we're recording this on the Wednesday. It'll happen on Thursday night. Um, there was a piece in the Sunday Times on Sunday uh, written by Ed Power, which caused a lot of consternation online. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Ed Power's piece uh, was a overview of the Choice Prize nominees. That's generous. <laughs> well, that's the idea. A feature, which is an overview of the Choice Prize nominees. Um, Ed took a very glib tone in the uh, overview of each of the acts. Um, more, uh, particularly when he was addressing the as it happens, female acts um, on the list, calling Wyvern Lingo, uh, said they had unearned self-satisfaction, yeah. uh, saying um, they were smug. Um, to Lisa O'Neill, he said she had a studied glumness. Goes on to wonder, how is it that as she soars to greater heights, she looks even more miserable than ever? Now, there was a lot of uh, backlash. Isn't that, to that just piece. smile? Yeah, <laughs> smile more. Yeah. People will like you yeah, more. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, look, there's. I didn't get involved in this too heavily because, if I'm honest, I don't really respect uh, a lot of what a pair writes. And that's how I feel about it. So, you know, it is what it is. Mm. I don't get involved in it. Um, he <sighs> allegedly. Uh, I couldn't find the Irish Examiner review, but I remember at the time in 2010, he reviewed the Gorillaz album or a Gorillaz live gig uh, for two different publications. The same gig, one positive, one negative. Mm -hmm. One was a Telegraph, the other is the Irish Examiner. Um, so I I could take or leave his writing. Sure. I mostly leave it. Yeah. Um, and, but it, I guess what was obvious about this was that, you know, he definitely leaned into talking about the appearance of the female acts mm -hmm. on the on the choice prize list, and uh, you know while he did uh, glibly in or uh, criticize or use those terms other terms around the other acts, he didn't really go in in the same level. Yeah. Um. But Wyvern Lingo in particular, uh, they had a lot of support online for what they for what he said. Um. It's just it's just upsetting in the way that, look, like I said, I don't really respect what he had to say, so I don't mm. really put much weight in it. But what I would say is um, it's disappointing that it got into a national newspaper or something like yeah. that about something that can really help an act. Yeah. And just to be so dismissive, uh, unsubstantiated about what he is saying mm. is disrespectful and also just bad journalism. Yeah, I... I I agree. I, I think there's there's a few problems with this, um, not least the misogyny, you know, um, basically telling women to smile, basically telling people to cheer up. And then when um, an act might be happy with their own success to be called smug, it's just it's it's bad journalism. Um, the, well, it doesn't the edit, say anything about the music itself. That's the thing. And like my my fear for this is that like Sunday Times readers are going to think that this is music criticism and it isn't. It's like a personal attack on a group of people who he, he might not like their 
music, although an interview he did with them recently, um, or not recently, a, a couple of years ago, uh, suggests otherwise, when he said he, they're skyrocketing deservedly to success. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, the editorial decision to publish this is questionable also. It's it's not even sort of sensationalist or clickbaity in an obvious way. Like so, sometimes you can... You can see what articles like um, a, a quote pulled out or something pulled out to get people reading it. And I'm like, I understand that people need to get clicks. People need to get people to read the article in the paper. But this is just it's it's poor. It's it's a poor editorial choice to publish it in the first place. It's poorly written and it's very, very poor jur- journalism, if you can even call it that. I was properly annoyed by this like yeah look, and on on like it's international women's day this week like just a bit of self-awareness yeah. it wouldn't wouldn't go amiss you know you know what i think we've had a lot of discussion around this uh inspired by this this week because we were talking a lot about the idea of constructive negative criticism mm. which is a valid thing and something that probably needs to happen more and more in yeah. irish music and you know certainly you know with us with 909 the website we feature stuff that we like primarily and so we're not a music review site so we don't go in on a lot of acts so we'd rather out of time and necessity and resources we'd rather leave something that we're not interested in yeah other than just cover it for the sake of it um but there certainly is um room for a a more critically um an aware piece to be written about something like this. Yeah, I think but so this, too. This is not the way to do this it. This isn't it, though. Like, if there's there's definitely something to be said, something to be written about the Choice Prize as an entity. Like, there's there's something in that. You know, it, if if you want to go in on the idea of there being a Choice Prize, sure, go in on it. Like, but like back it up with something. Um, Dean Van Wyn had a good thread on Twitter about. Um, the difference between whatever this is and like negative, like writing a negative review of an album or something. Like I've, I've reviewed albums that I didn't like. I reviewed them negatively, but I don't, I I don't see that as being the same thing as, you know, say like, for example, with, if I didn't like a Drake album, which I didn't like the latest Drake album, I'm not going to start saying, oh, he's like really smug. And like, I, it just wouldn't occur to me to start bringing kind of personal attacks into it, like completely unwarranted. I think that's why we're both offended by this particular piece is because yeah. there's a lack of um, love and respect for, for music in, in that, yeah. uh, in his words. Yeah. And I'm just like, why is, why? Yeah. Uh, in time of dwindling music writing in general mm. in Ireland, especially as you know, as as a as an example of, of this piece, you know, Sunday Times is a big uh, publication. Why is this the thing that is published in the Sunday Times culture? Like it just it doesn't make sense to me at all. It's not yeah, it's <laughs> I'm just really annoyed by it. Well, it's, you know, yeah. it's got its aim. It, it mm. got us talking about it. And yeah. I think that's, you know, it's probably uh, reason for existing. Sure. Unfortunately, <laughs> unlike R. Kelly, who we don't really know <laughs> why. <laughs> what the reason is for his existence. <laughs> well, you know, as we've discussed and as I'm sure you know, R. Kelly is currently being accused of uh, a lot of counts of uh, sexual abuse, including um minors and uh, accusations of cult-like behavior 
Uh, Dre, what was going on with R. Kelly this week? So this week, R. Kelly, did, uh, he broke his silence and he um, did an interview with CBS, which, according to the interviewer, lasted for 80 minutes. Um, a 10 minute long clip was posted, I believe today, um, of that conversation in which Kelly sort of... <laughs> He goes from just kind of calmly, den- calmly denying to like he, he just explodes. Um, yeah, maybe we could take a listen to it. Right, this is R. Kelly on the CBS show from this week. Do this stuff. This is not me. Y'all. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all telling me with this. I gave y'all thirty years of my career, Robert. Thirty years of my career. Y'all trying to kill me? You killing me, man? This is not about music. I'm trying to have a relationship with my kids, and I can't do it. Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. You don't want to believe it. At this point, we briefly pause the interview to give Kelly a moment. That's just a a little bit of that partly 80 minute interview that happened yeah um, so his his energy isn't at that level for the whole interview even the whole 10 minute clip but i think there's a lot is revealed in it in in his sort of in the way that he denies this so something that he said that really stuck out to me was after this moment he sort of started going down this kind of sympathy route. And he said to the interviewer, I need help, I need help. And she said, what do you need help for? And he says, I need help because I have a big heart. And basically saying that he loves too much. And I don't know, just that also coupled with him flying off the handle, coupled with the the language he uses. Like he, he says things like, use common sense, why why would I keep women hostage? Why with my um, history of like, you know, the previous court case that he was acquitted for, why, why would I do that? It makes no sense. And that's a strange line to go down. Instead of saying, I would never do that because it doesn't occur to me. He goes along the line of, I would never do that because if I got caught or I would never do that because I have to be careful. Yeah. And I I found that really, really strange and just the whole, the whole interview, there's, there's just so many signs and, you know, red flags of things that abusers do, like in order to deflect questions, in order to deflect things, they'll fly off the handle and they'll get emotional and they'll cry and they'll say sorry for things. They'll straw man apologies and say, I'm sorry for loving too much. And it's a very, very strange interview. And I don't think it's the look he intended it to be. Um, and I think at the beginning of the interview, uh, the interviewer, whose name I keep forgetting. Um, Gail. G- yeah, um, yeah. She she's brilliant. Um, and she is quite, you know, she eases them in, we'll say. And then as soon as it's clear that she's not going to give him an easy time, he flies off the handle and gets emotional. So it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting watch. It's a difficult one, though. Yeah, well, this comes off the back of a six-part um, series, documentary series about Call Surviving R. Kelly, which goes into great detail about uh, the number of accusations and the uh, experiences that happened, and he, which he flatly denies. And look, there's... 
it's fine that he gets to reply, I guess, but like there's so much evidence against him yeah. that his reply in that regard just feels so calculated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, even there's been some evidence that came out since that um, documentary about another video of him uh, with, a, with an underage girl um, okay. since that documentary came out. That was in the last couple of weeks. So it just keeps coming for him. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope the truth comes out. Yeah. on that front. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's enough of our... That's all the news, I think. Good Lord. <laughs> any, any other reason to be cheerful? Thank God all the otters uh, are okay. Badger fact. <laughs> do we have any other badger? Well, <laughs> we do have something to be uh, cheerful for, I guess. Um, we have an album of the week from uh, Solange, which, uh, you know, surprise albums now drop so... They're so regular. You're just like, oh, yeah, sort of, yeah it's fine. Yeah, so, yeah. So, it's a surprise album. Um, here we go again. Um, so we're so used to it now. But uh, Solange's album, uh, her fourth album, When I Get Home, dropped on Friday, accompanied by a film, um, a 30 minute film as well. And uh, here is a bit of a flavor of the album. This is called Stay Flow from Solange. Eh, eh, eh. Hey. Make us Stay Flow from Solange's new album, When I Get Home. Um, so it's the fourth album from Solange and uh, very different uh, sound in terms of, uh, well, very different makeup in general uh, compared to, say, the very revered and um, much respected and critically acclaimed A Seat at the Table from 2016. There's a lot of people involved in this, but actually you wouldn't be able to tell straight away. Mm. Um, the likes of Panda Bear, uh, Earl Sweatshirt, uh, Twilight the Creator, are involved in the production, co-production of this. Uh, but I think it would be fair to say Solange is the executive producer and main producer of yeah. this album. She's also the primary songwriter on yeah. all the full-length full tracks. Entirely her vision, it seems. And it's uh, the idea that the likes of Playboy Carti, Blood Orange, Sampha, Pharrell, uh, Cassie, Metro Boomin and Panda Bear all are all in this somewhere, mm. but aren't very obvious is very representative of where this album's at this isn't an album that is like oh let's get loads of guests in and collaborators and do this they're all there to serve the one vision and that vision is Solange's and now I think one of the things that made me help me uh, understand where this album is coming from because it's a very different album and it's kind of there's a lot of repetition in it there's a lot of almost mantric sayings and there's uh, it's got a very, it's got a similar vibe musically, maybe in that it's rooted in soul and R and B, but it's kind of, it's got a lot more um, modern hip hop um, beats and, and like percussion in it. But one of the things she said as part of her album experience events that she hosted last week or this week uh, was, uh, obviously with a seat at the table, I had so much to say, 
with this album I had so much to feel. Words would have been reductive to what I had needed to feel and express. It's in the sonics for me. Mm. And that to me is a good way of looking at this album, which is certainly anyone expecting something to the same level of substance and and not vision, but um, lyrics in terms of uh, this album will probably come away disappointed Mm. by uh, this album uh, when I get home. It doesn't have the same level of focus in that way. It, when I first listened to it, I thought it was sketches left over mm. from a seat at the table because there's a lot of short songs, there's a lot of meandering, repetitious um, passages, yeah, and a lot of interludes. I think it, for me, the film that accompanied it really helped square the vision a bit more towards what this album actually was. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about it? I, yeah, I had a strange experience when I first listened to it um, in that I was like, oh, I don't think I like this because I think I was looking for a lot in the lyrics um, that wasn't there. And it wasn't until I sort of switched my focus um, and realized that this isn't a lyrics album. There's not a whole lot that like hits really hard on it. Um so once I kind of switched that focus and concentrated on it more as like a kind of meditative album. That word actually is something I keep coming back to. Yeah. It, and the visually it definitely feels like that as well. It's kind of a a dream state kind of idea. Yeah. With the film really inf- reinforces that because it presents you with these um, visions and visuals of uh, kind of unreal places in yeah. ways. Like, you know, a lot of it's about Houston and uh, you are presented with some images of Houston, but also with a twist that you don't quite recognize. Yeah, so I think like dreamy or like being dreamlike is a good way to describe it in terms of both the visual and what it does sonically. Like I think it's it sounds like a dream in that it's really hard to recall a lot of like the melodies after you listen to it much the same way as when you wake up from a dream you can kind of you can remember the feeling of the dream you can remember if you felt scared or if you felt happy you can remember like little images from it but you can't ever really get the full thing back and I feel like when you finish listening to this album it's kind of like waking up from a dream in that way Um, and then obviously in the visuals there's a lot of like the uncanny there's a lot of like shots of um Houston where everything's really normal it's just like a normal building or something and then there's like you know really out there strange dancing there's you know cowboys on horses there's things that don't quite match up it's that like rendering the familiar unfamiliar thing and I think that once you start thinking about it in terms of it being a mood album or an art album, as opposed to being a pop album or an R&B album, I think something, well, for me anyway, something clicked with me then. And I was like, no, I actually just have to listen to this differently. I have to go about this listening differently. And I got a lot more from it then. I, I, I won't say I enjoyed it as much as I did a seat at the table, but I'm still, I still feel like I'm mid listen, do you know? It kind of, um, you know, we talked about when Blood Orange released uh, Negro Swan last year, um, the idea of that continuing this um, series of of albums by disparate artists that could be tied in the same bracket about uh, black lives and black culture. Mm. This one feels like it could fit into that, but it's definitely, um, like you said, it's less... um, 
it's easier it's harder to grasp and it's less direct it's less lyrical mm. it's more and it's funny you should say mood because like you know that's the thing about this album it actually fits into a lot of people's listening habits in terms of um you know lo-fi study beats yeah you know yeah. like it's something to stick on in the background yeah. and let it wash over you kind of thing and it definitely fits into that vibe because you can because it feels like it's very it fits snugly in the background. It's yeah. something that doesn't, you know, rise too much. And that's actually, I am hesitant to give a final verdict on this album because I felt the same about A Seat at the Table. But what I loved about that is that it gave you something to really sit with and mm. come back to. And also the other thing, like the obvious thing we should say here is that like Solange wrote this album from a, a black cultural perspective and a society's perspective of a, of a black woman as well. Yeah. So there's other parts in that. There's been a lot of albums released in the last few years, say um, uh, some of the Kendrick Lamar albums, for example, which take somebody like myself a bit longer to get um, truly immersed in because it's not written from my perspective. Yeah. And so you have to spend a bit more time to really understand the references and really understand where it's coming from. Totally. And I feel like this is another one of those ones. Um, I I think that it's even one more step removed from that because I was thinking of this album because it's like also it's got a visual accompaniment. I was thinking of it in terms of um, Lemonade. And I, I was really trying not to draw any comparisons between Solange and Beyonce because they're just such different artists. But even if she wasn't Beyonce's sister, I think I'd still draw that connection. And with Lemonade and with A Seat at the Table and with Damn and To Pimp a Butterfly and these big sort of albums that contributed so much to conversation about like black identity, particularly in America, um, I felt like with those other albums, I had my hand held a little bit along. It was more accessible to me as a white person because I, I could read the lyrics along. And, you know, everybody, when you're reading lyrics, you're looking along on Genius and they very helpfully say, oh, well, this is a quote from such and such. This is a line from an old soul song from whenever. And that's really, really helpful. And it helps you to contextualize it. Whereas with this record, we... As uh, as people kind of outside of this experience, we don't really get helped along. Um, that's obviously fine, um, but it's it, it's strange to try to kind of tap into um, what kind of Black American cultural identity is as a mood, not as anything that's being explained to you. Yeah, do you know? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's a really uh, interesting point um, and one that I totally agree with because. It it doesn't hold your hand in any way, and it is you know it is maybe representative of of a mood, mm. and maybe it doesn't have a lot to say directly, mm. but that's okay. Yeah, you know, like no one has to represent themselves at every release they have to exactly they yeah. they put out there. You know, and I think it as a piece of art, it's starting to come together for me now in terms of where it is and where it's at, yeah. and uh, I don't think I'm quite finished with it yet. And me neither. And that's the other thing I like about it because I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to watch the video. They have film again. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with like the overall vision of it. But at first, my first impression of it was like, are these sketches left over from mm. another album? And like, are we going to get another album? I did that Frank Ocean thing of like, oh, yeah. are we going to get another album next week? Yeah. Kind of thing. Just because the songs were so short, uh, like we're 
first song is two minutes and you got a 17 second interlude and then there's like there's very few songs that go over three or four minutes and it's it's 19 tracks long but on the surface it's there's a lot of tracks how long does it run for well the film runs for 30 minutes okay so that's the whole thing right? yeah yeah i think every track is on that including and actually that the film i'm talking about like signposting and like references a bit more it does show you where the samples come from yeah and those kind of things as well so if you didn't know you can kind of uh, oh yeah that's what that's from or you wouldn't if you didn't know it gives you a clue where yeah it's from. yeah um, yeah like i think i think no matter what way you come from it you'll have an in somehow like i think my my in was sort of noticing and going down the line of like the jazz chords that she uses and the general jazz influence that she has running throughout the album um that was my in but other people might have an in in terms of like r&b stuff or the visual like there's there's something there to grab hold of and you can kind of enter it that way but it doesn't it doesn't make it easy for you. And I think that that's a good, that that's an indicator of art that's worth while, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't get that reference to Florida water till today. Yeah. Until I looked it up. It's yeah. like, it's not about actual water from Florida. Yeah. It's a cologne, a, a alcohol-based cologne mm -hmm. that is used for spiritual cleansing and spell work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like I, I remember when I was, um, when I was writing about lemonade, uh, when that came out, I learned so much about soul food because there's so much like, it's like soul food and like black food in America running throughout lemonade. And I just went down this rabbit hole of learning about soul food and being like, I don't know anything about this. It's crazy. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's there if you want to investigate it, I think, but I, I, I wouldn't expect to put it on and be like, banger. It doesn't have a, like, don't touch my hair. It doesn't really have a track that's... No, it definitely doesn't have a big um, calling card on that no. on the 19 tracks, really. Um, but, but I think it's interesting that something like don't touch my hair, like that, like that, that song title is addressing white, white people. And there's no, like, there's no addressing white people, white people in this album. It's all, it's all contained within her own experience mm. um not even she's not even necessarily just presenting her experience as a black woman she's just presenting her experience as an artist um but yeah there's no kind of um great big banger that is calling anyone out or anything you no know? certainly not um and she's doing a lot of live dates this summer um having seen her longitude last year i feel this material will fit very well into what she did as part of that set which was very much a low tempo mm. uh, very considered and uh yeah I, I possibly i have to look up a track list but honestly i feel like i've heard some of these songs at that gig, maybe, okay. possibly. It has that same kind of vibe, just mm. stuff that you just, like, oh, I don't know the song, but it, it could fit in very well with it. And a lot of the, you know, visual references, maybe even the, some of the dancing in it could possibly be from her live show as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, interesting one. So I guess what we're saying really is, like, we don't really say much else. It is it is there, and it is definitely a mood uh, listen. Um, mm. It's not something that has... Uh, the same level of um, substance and maybe not necessarily replayability, but there's nothing that it is the one mood. It's a 30 minute album mm. piece for yeah. you to explore. Yeah. And 
yeah, let's play a bit from Almeida from uh, When I Get Home. This is from Solange. album is when i get home our album of the week this week uh moving on to tracks of the week we're going to start with uh, a song from an irish artist who released a very big album on friday his name is hosier and this is called wasteland baby and this song actually is called almost sweet music Times roll, let smoke rings from this paper doll blow sweet and thick till every thought of it don't mean a thing. I got some color back, she thinks so too. I laugh like me again, she laughs like you. That is Hosier from Wasteland Baby. Now, myself and Andrea, I'm sure we've smoked. I spent a lot of time listening to this album. Have you? I have, yeah. I've given it a few listens, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm, I found it a hard slog mm-hmm. uh, listening to Wasteland Baby. I wanted to like it, but I really, I found it going back to the same well over and over again in terms of, oh, the, uh, the gospel back and vocals, the... Um, production techniques, the the build up and the chorus, and it was like it just felt like it kept doing the same thing. And mm. when, even when it wasn't, it was kind of starting to sound like that. Yeah, I found there was is there fourteen tracks on it. I found it very hard going. Now I have to say, um, yeah. how did you find it? I mean, I th- I still think Nina Cried Power is probably the best song on it. Um, and it's it's look like it's not a bad album. I don't think it deserves to be you know, completely torn down or anything. It's just like, as a fan of his first album, I see the drawing board being the same for this, but maybe all of the good ideas have already been used up on, on that first record. Um, I'm, I'm fine with him sticking to like a gospel sound. I think he, when he does it well, it's really, really good, but I don't know. There's there's moments on this that feel a bit mm, like like he's reaching for something maybe a bit more quotable or a bit more. Um, there's there's like a kind of a, a conversationalism. There's a word. <laughs> uh, there's a conversational tone that runs throughout it that I don't find entirely convincing. I'm thinking specifically about the very unfortunate. 
um, lyric, which is it's gin o'clock where where I am or where I'm at or something like that. And I was like, oh, Andrew, no, like you sound like a T-shirt from Penny's like that's not. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 I think there's there's good on the album. It just it doesn't tend to last for an entire song. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, uh, I just feel that sometimes when an artist has a big release and this is the same thing we see time and time again with a major label artist and a successful artist is that they play it safe mm. and this is immaculately safe to me um throughout it's just even though he's a brilliant singer he's a lovely voice and he's a really good guitarist mm. leaving aside any like you know connotations about him which he's kind of addressed in nina cried power about like you know um he okay he plays the blues and that's obviously a thing he does and like it's not something that other people don't do like there's plenty of other people who follow that rule of the, yeah. of thumb and, and play that music and inspired by it and uh, pay tribute to it which he does a lot on this you may heard him mention Duke Ellington there for example but yeah I just find it hard going it keeps going back to that same idea of um it's diminishing returns and unfortunately like Nina Cried Power and Shrike the two songs from the EP are probably my favourite songs on this by yeah. far and and that's disappointing because yeah. it's an EP that came out last year yeah and it was supposed to, when it first came out it was it was kind of sold as if it was going to be they weren't going to be on the album mm. or they, maybe they were but like I got the idea that that wasn't I certainly didn't think three of the four songs on the EP were going to be on the album mm. But what you end up is uh, 14 different, um, <laughs> is it 14 songs? On 14, it? yeah. Yeah, 14 songs that just, you know, they do a lot of the same thing. They uh, uh, bring the same ideas in. Yeah. And I just, the more I listen to it, the more I just wanted some room to breathe. And you think you would get that with the slower songs. And then you're just like, the production is also almost oppressive in the way that it does that to you. Yeah. And you find that so much with like being major label label releases where it's just, it happens constantly where it's just like, right, well, we can do this, but we can't go beyond this. It just feels like a, like an, uh, a narrow um, casted version of somebody's creativity. Mm. And I'm just, I'm just disappointed with it really, if yeah. I'm honest. Um, I've been trying to, I, every time I've been trying to listen to this in the last week. Now, I should say, like, I was a fan of some of the uh, first album for sure. Um, at the time, I was on TXFM and you would hear Hosier songs like uh, two or three times a day. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Um, and what I was impressed with was that, like, those songs somehow didn't annoy me mm. with so much repeated listens. And... I kind of like the brightness of it, but something about like Wasteland Baby, I can't quite put my finger on, but it just feels like that, yeah, like that immaculately safe production, even when it's not, yeah. you know, on the surface is like, well, this isn't safe or well, it is though. It is. There's a lot of safeness here. There's a lot of um, grayscaling almost of, yeah. of the sound into a very defined palette that you're never going to feel hugely surprised by, even when. I was like, here comes another gospel chorus, backing vocal kind of mm. thing. You know, you're like, you know. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think like I'm on board with a lot of the ideas that he's he's exploring lyrically. I'm, like, I'm not entirely on board with how he does it, but he's he's 
you know, speaking to things like protest music, he's speaking to things like how it feels to sing and use your voice and not really care what it does, like the the power of music. He's speaking to the end of the world. He's speaking like he's he's taking, you know, really grand ideas and really universal ideas. And I think trying to condense them into something that's palatable. But the problem, definitely, I agree, it lies in, in the production of it in that there are like if if you're going to be writing about the end of the world is this what is this how you want your take on that to sound you want it to just sound like everything you've done before and yeah there's there was I I can't think of a risk on it um if if I hear the chorus of movement one more time (laughs) I'll scream I'm really I'm not a fan of that song at all but I'm I'm really interested in the idea that he had for it, which is, you know, how, how bodies move and what the act of dancing does to the person that's moving and the per- and somebody else that's watching and using our bodies in that way and that kind of really primal um, relationship with music that only humans have. And I'm like, yeah, that's a brilliant grand idea. Write a song about that. And then it's just, it's just a bit flat. Yeah. Then, you know, it's... Like, I don't, I, I, I don't think I come in on this album as harshly as, say, like, even like the Pitchfork review. I, I don't think it was all that harsh, but it kind of, I, I, I can find a bit more good in this than a lot of the reviews I've been reading. Yeah, but, I, I fundamentally think he's a good, he's a great singer. Yeah. And he can be a great guitarist. And I've seen that in the flesh and I've seen him do it and I've heard him do it on songs recorded. Um, you talk about risks, actually, like that last song, Wasteland Baby, does have a, a risk in the way that it puts an effect on his vocal. Sure. And, you know, I would have liked more of, I think it's kind of like a like a color scheme, you know, if you think about it that way. Mm. A color scheme has um, certain things <clears throat> that you couldn't go back to. And this seems to go back to it an awful lot. But there's nothing outside of that. Mm. And it doesn't feel like there's much difference in the tones or the the melodies that really move beyond that. Even yeah. when it's like, that's why Shrike does stand out on this because it does feel like something that I think at the moment, I'm starting to wonder, is like if it would just be nice to hear him and his guitar or something yeah. like that without yeah. all of this on the surface, nice production that just ends up sounding like it's so polite or so safe. That polite is so the word for it, I think. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like an autopilot thing yeah. where you're like, oh, I'm, this is what we did for the last six songs. So let's do this again. Yeah. Even when that's like a little bit unfair, because there are touches to this that like in arrangement wise are trying to do something different. Mm. But it's like they're all coated in the same thing and the same, it's that kind of like idea. I've coming back to this a lot this year of oppressive production and yeah. um, a way of, of, of producing music that just sucks the life out of it. Yeah, we had it with Maggie Rogers yeah. um, as well, where you take an artist that's done it right once and you just try to replicate it again and again. And I... I I think his fans like they really they seem to really like this and I'm not surprised by that. Um and it that's not to say that just because they're his fans they don't, you know, they're not thinking about it critically, but 
I think if you re- remove yourself from whatever, you know, preconceived um, ideas you have about Hosier, remove yourself from the fact that he's an incredibly successful Irish artist and we obviously all wish him the best. This is still a disappointing second album from an artist that can just do so much better than this. You know, that's, that's kind of where I'm landing on it. Yeah. I know he has more, I know he's a much better guitarist than he is on this album. There's moments of, of, of like, there's a, there's a couple of cool kind of licks on it, but there's not, nothing that comes close to the first record. Yeah. Well, you know, he did work with Rob Kieran, the producer again, and also Marcus Draves. Um, I would like to hear him, no disrespect to either of those, they do what they do well, but they may be a little bit too close to each other to really find some contrast mm. in, in what he does. Uh, Rob obviously worked on the first album, so that's good, not going to help when you're coming back to a second album unless you have some new ideas. Mm. And rather than codify what made that first album successful, um, you know, um, the, we keep coming back to that gospel idea yeah. of um, the gospel blues um, and the uplifting. But if you're not, if your if your lyrics don't say that and don't suggest that, or they don't um, have as much substance as they perhaps should in that regard, mm. um, then it's going to fall a bit flat. And then if the production is going to follow on from what it already has in the past, it's going to be a retread and that's yeah. just a disappointing thing it is and I think that if if you were to if you're only kind of linked to the influences that Hosier as an artist boasts like you know soul and gospel if you're only linked to those genres and those styles are these two albums you'd come away with the idea that there's only one way to make gospel music and there's only one way to make soul music when it's an inc- like there's there's so much that like if he's sticking with that style as his primary influence, which is fine. There is there is a vast well of things that he can draw from, but he's still sticking with, you know, the gospel choir being used to um, underlie his vocal. Like there, there's not even a whole lot of like give and take between him and the him and like soul and gospel and that kind of thing. Like there's not, I don't know, there's not a whole lot of foregrounding of his influence on the album once you get past Nina Cried Power. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, it's it's strange. It's it, it's like he did Nina, Nina Cried Power, puts it at the top of the album saying, hey, I, I, I know that, you know, other people have done this before me. Here they are. And then he goes on to just kind of blandly... Um, take influence from those people if that makes sense yeah mm. yeah I think those um, ideas when they should underscore or something just feel like they don't add to it necessarily mm. they don't it's like oh you know the production choice to bring in something like a, a the gospel choir idea yeah you need a reason to do that like you can't that's why I like Nina Cry Power so much because like he does he does belt it out and you do feel like he believes it he brought in Mavis Staples to sing on the song mm. who obviously is one of the world like most amazing singers mm-hmm. and brings that raw soul to it as yeah. well and I kind of kind of maybe lifts him up a bit as well and yeah. by contrast and um, yeah um, I really feel like he goes for that as well as because she's on it perhaps um which is good you know and i'd like to see i'd like to see more of that collaboration kind of stuff happen maybe so it would feel more alive 
yeah. um, which, you know, sounds like a damning thing, but I feel like that's, you know, it's been 14 tracks and I've listened to it about seven or eight times and every time I'm like, oh, I can't believe we're only on track 10. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the way you should feel about something like this, yeah. obviously. Um, so it's just disappointing. Um, and I did go back and listen to his first album while I was listening to this and it's just like they... They, they don't compare, you know, yeah. it's, it, it was so fresh and it had new ideas and it introduced a lot of people to music that they wouldn't have heard before. Um, and yeah, I don't know, maybe it's second album syndrome. We'll see how he fares again in five years from now. Is it five years since the last one? <laughs> something like that? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It is only a second album. Yeah. Um, yes. But, you know. These are why this is why we are saying these things, like we yeah. said about the Ed Power thing, trying to be offer like our constructive opinion about yeah. these things rather than saying. Also, Hosier you know, just seems a bit smug, like <laughs> <laughs> smug man. We'll move on uh, to uh, a new track from the National, who announced a new album as well this week. This is uh, "You Had Your Soul with You." That is just a small bit from the uh, Nationals' uh, new album song that came out uh, this week. You Had Your Soul With You. The album itself is called I Am Easy To Find. It arrived with a trailer directed by Mike Mills, who is apparently the, one of the co-producers of the album. Mike Mills, the uh, film director. And uh, Alicia Vikander features in the trailer, which there will be a short film to accompany the yeah. movie, apparently. Uh, it's out on 18th of May. It is the follow up to Sleep Well Beast, um, which was an album. I'm not. I'm. I like the National sometimes. I. I don't. I'm not a like all in fan, but I was a really big fan of that album. Yeah, it had a lot of different textures and it kind of brought a different palette to the band without sacrificing like to me what a lot of people would think their core appeal is, and that's like a lot of honest lyrics and a uh, bit of melancholy and, yes yeah um, a lot of that kind of stuff um this album will uh feature a well that song actually i didn't get to play but gail ann dorsey uh, features on that as well there will be lisa hannigan sharon van etten uh, the brooklyn youth Cor- chorus and mina tindall are among it obviously the national <coughs> and um aaron desner in particular um is known for the people project with uh bonnie ver where they collaborate with a lot of different people and their album uh their last album came out of that idea and i feel like there's some of that in there for what we could hear yeah. um you a bigger national fan than me perhaps um yeah i i only kind of became as big a national fan as i am in the past few years i think when sleep well beats came out i went back and listened to a lot more of their stuff and 
realized that they're definitely the band for me. Um, I saw them live last summer as well, and that was a really, really cool experience. Uh, they played in uh, Donnybrook in the the stadium there, and it was, yeah, it was really, really lovely. And I really like this. It's um, it's definitely from the more like upbeat end of the national spectrum, but not losing that like sort of token sense of melancholy um throughout it I think um Brian Devendorf the drummer I think he's fantastic on this track like he's just he he's one of the best drummers drumming today like he is he's he's definitely underrated that little drummer boy um he's he's brilliant and he's excellent on this track and it's it's nice to hear him kind of as foregrounded as he is especially on a track that's a little bit kind of it's atmospheric in the way that like the guitars are used the lyrics are relatively wishy-washy um there's nothing too you know yeah there's impactful. not a lot to grab here yeah it's kind yeah. of like oh this is a taste of what's come but there's totally. you, you can't really tell what's going to happen yeah and well. that's my favorite kind of first single from an album where it's like ooh, intrigue um <laughs> what's one, it gonna be one of 16 tracks yeah so who knows what's gonna hopefully come like eight of them are sad at least <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah I, I really really like this i was very happy when um when it was announced today because it was unexpected you cool. know that's the national which you had your soul with you up next it's um the Pop queen in waiting, Billie Eilish, and she had a new song out this week called Wish You Were Gay. Is there a 12 step just for you? Our conversation all in blue, 11 hits, 10 fingers tearing out my hair, nine times you never made it there. Billie Eilish. No, I did say Pop Queen and Waiting, but she's kind of already massive. Yeah. She's huge. It's happening now. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Our well writer, deserved. Ruth, went to see her last week in Milan. Mm. And uh, the piece going up on the website um, in the next couple of days about that. And uh, she, yeah, we were both big fans of Bury Your Friend. Oh my God. The kind of Marilyn Manson-esque so uh, beat. And uh, just darkness also like mm-hmm. Jesus we mentioned as well yeah. um there's a lot of it's it had a lot of cool dark energy <laughs> yeah and this one is more of the other kind of vibe that she has which is like atmospheric yeah strange pop but it, also like biting as well in terms of uh, and maybe like real in terms of like the the lyrical stuff like you know um the lyrics actually were are worth to read all the way through for this in terms of their use of numbers yeah uh, it's really, really cool. interesting way of of doing it and it's, it's been a while since i've seen something like that um so she kind of really cleverly explores this 12 step program for um getting over someone or mending a broken heart and the first um 
stanza, not stanza, uh, verse, <laughs> um, is, you know, steps 12 to six and then, or no, six to one. And then the second is steps 12 to six. And it's, um, just, you know, a, a song about like the wish you were gay thing, um, is when the, the kind of pain of loving somebody who doesn't love you back. And you're like, I just need a reason why, like, it, so she did an interview or a breakdown of, um, how she wrote the song that's on her YouTube page, which is really worth a watch for like, in terms of, I, I think it's a really useful thing to look at if you're interested in songwriting and if you're interested in process. Um, and also she just seems really, really sound and really cool and has her head screwed on. But, um, yeah, so she was talking about kind of the lyrical breakdown in it and how it's a, a fun and playful way of dealing with um, being rejected by somebody. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, funny enough, conforming to the uh, wishful narrative, it turns out he was gay. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so Your in, wish is my command. In Billie Eilish's case, uh, her wish came true. Oh, um, that's good. But not the same for most people who... Uh, looking for a, a concrete reason why somebody might not like them back. Yeah. <laughs> but she has an album out very soon and that is going to be a big release. We, uh, I yeah. think it's out soon in April, right? Um, yeah, I and, actually have it open. Um, we find it March now. 29th. Oh yes, it is happening very soon. This so, month. Yeah, oh, exciting. There are about four songs I think we've that are out from that you can hear at the yes. moment. Yes. Um, I'm, it's one of those ones I want to hear in full uh, together and see how it feels. Um, I have high hopes for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, be interesting to hear. And it's like I I keep coming back to it whenever I listen to her. I'm like, yeah, this is really great, and blah blah. And then I'm like, she's seventeen. It's <laughs> insane. Like her, she's just one of those people. And I think especially in in that video I mentioned, you're just like you're you're an artist. You are you were born to do this stuff. Like you have yeah. an understanding of songwriting and process that people you know go to college and try to learn. Like she just has it. And um, her brother is uh, her co-producer as well yeah, and does a lot yeah. of stuff with her. And uh, yeah, so a family powerhouse. Definitely. Um, yeah, really interesting. We look forward to hearing that. I think next week there are albums from Seagrid and uh, I had a few other in mind that I can't think of right now. I've heard the Seagrid album a few times. Um, oh yeah. I'm interested to hear what you think of it. Okay. And uh, we might discuss that next week. Uh, but ultimately we'll make that decision shortly yes <laughs> as we always do there might be surprise yeah. releases you never Last know minute. Yeah. you never know maybe yeah. frank ocean releasing her up i know let's not get our hopes up oh so my God, soon imagine. <laughs> Jeez, my heart yeah. dropped there for a minute but you know i actually did feel a bit like uh when the solange album was announced i was like oh poor hosier <laughs> before i was like you know what can you do is like who, who was it was it james blake or something like that recently who like that happened to him when somebody like frank ocean released an album at the same time or something like that yeah like, yeah like, you can't account for these things no sometimes you just got to make the best music you possibly can and hope for the best um do you remember when taylor swift put all of her music on spotify uh on the day that Katy perry released her album no. Uh, it was it was with reputation and um she was like famously not on Spotify for ages and yeah, then the yeah. day Katy Perry released her album bang she arrives on Spotify I was like Ouch. yes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're nearly uh, finished for this week I'm going to ask you the customary question about what you've been listening reading and watching this week um so I have been what, what have I been watching oh yeah I've been watching the season two of The Handmaid's Tale um 
I, I watched season one back when it was out and um, don't you need a reason to be cheerful oh god it's I really do like I binge season one but this is um, I'm watching it with my housemate and we've basically decided to watch one episode a week on a Monday um, and we, we just we can't once it ends we're like that was excellent couldn't possibly watch another one good god like I need to go and process this and have a sleep um so that's good um I've been reading um everything I know about love by Dolly Alderton oh yeah um a name I've only really heard much about in the last week was she here she did a talk here uh, I've no idea I just uh, I had it on like my goodreads list for ages um and it was recommended by a load of friends yeah. to read it it's a um it's I think a kind my of wife a, has it now as well. Yeah, um, it's a she's a Sunday Times columnist. She is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a personal memoir about her relationship with love from when she was a child up until um, her adult years. And I'm around the teenage um, university years at the moment, and I have laughed out loud on the bus. Like it is, but but also I've been like, oh my god, this is this is some serious like I there's a lot of inward reflection when you're reading it going, oh, I see so much of myself in all the mistakes that she's making. But it's a fantastic read. It's really, really great. I fully recommend it. Um, that's what I've been reading and then listening. Would you believe I'm still listening to Julia Jacqueline? Um, Fair but enough, so That's I. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she'll be here soon as well. We're going to see her. Um, I've been reading uh, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, the book by Marlon James, the Jamaican oh, author. Yeah. It's been described as a cross between Game of Thrones and uh, Lord of the Rings. That's a series, is it? It's the first of a series, okay. yeah. As uh, my wife called it last night. Are you still reading your adventure book? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's a real novel. <laughs> you sound like me last week uh, defending Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, it's a real story. It's a real <laughs> thing. <laughs> I am enjoying it. It's, it's, um, it's different. It's very, um, yeah, I'm just, it's not the kind of thing I normally uh, read and that's why I'm enjoying it okay. it's uh, there's a lot of homosexuality in it as well which is different for that kind of fantasy novel oh yeah um, yeah and that it's, is the genre of the yeah. straight white man yeah it's yeah. quite dense it's obviously uh, it's it's set in Africa so it's kind of a different vibe uh, you know like people who are like oh it's the Black Panther of books <laughs> you okay. know um, I don't want to say that just yet I'm only about 120 pages into it but um, I'm really enjoying its stories and it seems very well drawn I'm not familiar with Marlon James much I okay. read basically read a New Yorker profile of him and then decided oh that book sounds interesting I'll try and give that a go I've also been uh, watching and I think it is one of the most underrated programs I've ever seen because it's just so brilliant uh, the season three of High Maintenance I've never heard of High Maintenance is so amazing. It's like, on the surface, it's a show about a weed dealer in New York who goes around to people's houses. Mm. That's the MacGuffin. That's the ruse. And uh, it really uses him as a way into other people's lives. And it explores, it's like little vignettes of uh, glimpses into people's lives and what they're up to. And it's so full of humanity and so full of interesting stories. Is it a comedy or a drama? Kind or? of, yeah. It's okay. like comedy drama. It's a HBO 30 minute. Each one is 30 minutes. Um, you never know who's going to be in it or who's going to be featured or who's what kind of life is going to be featured. Okay. There was a brilliant one in the season three where they he goes on, he like did ever's weed to a producer of this film and um, Jemima Kirk is in it. And it was just like all these little 
details I about love horrible like film productions and you're just like oh it's cringy but it's there's a lot of reality in it as well yeah. and there's a lot of like humanity i just love it it's um you just never know what you're gonna get okay. and uh yeah i would encourage it started as a web series in probably 2013 2014 maybe and now in a so it's six six episodes in the third season very easy to watch um yeah check it out it's so good okay, a, the I first will. one in the season is about a guy who buys who just collects stuff free from uh from the free list on craigslist and mm. you know you just never know what you're going to get you might get a, a story about um, film producers or you might get a story about somebody who's just died or um and somebody coping with it and then some really sad stuff in there as mm. well but also like really really it's like reading a really good book to me it's like cool. you just get these stories that you just didn't know were coming Mm. and uh yeah it's great it's really really good cool <laughs> so that's high maintenance i will watch uh, that season three uh, but i would start actually the original i don't know if they're still there but the original shorts they were shorts uh, that were on vimeo basically okay high maintenance and you could start with them and you could just lull them into it they're just like so good yeah um and the the hbo series didn't lose any of that really even though it extended the running time so that's my recommendation for this week. Awesome. Um, oh, I have to watch Dairy Girls. I went into work today and everyone was like, oh, did you see Dairy Girls? And I was like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. And it was like, what? You haven't watched Dairy Girls? So I think that's my that's on my list for the weekend. It's very good for what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very funny. Um, Fleabag also came back if you were watching I, that. I got texts from two separate friends saying, uh, what do you think of the new flea bag and I was like I've never even heard of this so <laughs> I have a lot on my list now to go and watch which is a good yeah. good complaint yeah flea bag is great yeah um, cringy as well a okay. lot of cringe in there um family cringe okay uh, yeah but um I think that's it for this week from us anyway uh uh, we're going to leave you with a track from Maria Somerville, a Galway native who uh, started releasing and uh, making and um, music about five or six years ago but it was taking her time with it has since changed a lot of what the sound that she was making and was kind of looking for her sound and her album came out on friday it's called all my people it's quite dense in atmosphere and kind of singer songwriter um uh acoustics and but also it's it's got its own thing going on it's a lot like uh as a comparison if you're looking for a reference something like grouper something which has a its own atmosphere going on and some it's kind of in the distance but there's stuff you can grab onto mm. um this will give you an example of what it is uh what it sounds like um eight tracks on it were very much worth checking out this is called dreaming from maria somerville that's it from us this week thank you for listening uh we had a good, really good reaction actually to last week and to give us the night uh the week before so thank you for that thank you and thank you for subscribing and listening and if you haven't done that yet hit that subscribe button smash that like button <laughs> sorry sorry to be that guy i got to the end of the episode an hour and 15 minutes in almost and we were like mm, we, we do tend to ramble at it. this point sorry sorry if you're still listening i'm sorry for you <laughs> we leave you with maria somerville and we'll talk to you next week bye Oh, uh-huh.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.